0: Good morning. Let me find the right sermon. It's good to see all of you out this morning. I, um, I know it's hot in here today, I promise you. There probably ain't going to be nobody here hotter than I am. So um, y'all just hang with us. Uh, we'll we'll get through just as soon as the Holy Spirit says it's time to get through. But uh, we're going to be in the Book of Philippians this morning. So if you have your Bible, and I pray that you do. If if not, maybe you've got a phone, and if you can get any signal at all in here, maybe you can at least download a Bible app or something, or follow along with your neighbor. But um, it's going to be important that um, that you stay with me. And so as when I call out a sermon to you, you try or a sermon. When I call out a scripture to you, try your best to make sure that uh, you're going to your word or in your phone or somewhere where you can read along with me. Um, If you're getting it from your phone, you have it on an app, I'm reading from the ESV version, the English Standard Version. Um, It don't matter as far as which version you've got, you should still be able to follow along. But just uh, for any of you that want to know what I'm preaching from, that's what it is. We're going to... Read Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 through 14. We're just going to pick up this week right where we left off last week. Just see what the Word of God has to say. Uh, I met with somebody um, a few nights ago, and they were telling me about some some struggles in their life, and I made it very clear. I had to tell him, and said, listen, this is what I'm preaching on this Sunday. I don't want you to think that I put this message together just because you sit down and talk to me. And so this morning, uh, no matter what it is you're dealing with, no matter what you're facing, I want you to understand, all I did was took the Word of God. If you were here last week, you know I stopped at verse uh, 11. Uh, I'm picking up in verse 12 and going through verse 14 today. That's, That's as simple as it is. So whatever the good Lord says to you, it is from His Word. It has not been fabricated by me. Everybody understand that. Say amen. Amen. All right. Now, if you have your Bible and you are there, if you have the means and you're able, we do like to stand just to give reverence that this is a living and powerful Word of God. We'll just read verses 12 through 14. And this is what it says I want you to know, brothers, that You can be seated to you this morning. And before we go any further, we we recognize that Lord, this word has no power unless you accomplish it. So, Father, we, we can't even we don't even have minds to understand it unless you enlighten us, unless you you open our eyes. And so, Father, we come to you this morning before we go any further and we ask you that, Lord, you would help us to see what it is that you want us to see. And even more important than seeing it, Lord, I pray that You would give us faith to trust it and to apply it to our life. And so, Father, we pray this morning that Your will would be done in this Word. Whatever reason it is that You've spoken it this morning, I pray that, Lord, I know that it won't return back to You void. You will cause it to accomplish whatever You sent it out to do. And so, Father, we just pray this morning that You would do that. And Father, we just pray that everything we say, everything we sing, everything we do would honor You and would glorify You for who You are. So Father, help us to do that this morning. We ask You for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, if you remember, we studied this letter of encouragement that Paul wrote to the Philippians. And you remember he sent this letter to a church that he loved very much. Matter of fact, he said that every time he thought of them, it brought him joy. Literally, every thought that he had about them, he would just stop and he would pray for them. And he had joy in his heart as he thought about these people. You remember that um, this was not a perfect church. We looked all through it and we saw that this church was a, a disputing church. They had members in there that were fighting. They had grumbling. They had complaining. They they had sinners that were coming together to meet and even still with all the issues that they had in this church, the Apostle Paul spoke about how much he loved them. And you remember one of the reasons why he loved them so much was because they were his partners in the gospel. Literally, they, they yoked up with him and they helped him to continue to spread the gospel. They continued their own progress in their faith and so it wasn't just that they were helping to see more people saved but they were continuing to grow in their own faith and this is part of the goal. And so Paul, he loved to see how they partnered with him in every way and he says from the first day until the end that they never quit partnering with him. And so that was one reason why he loved them very much. Another reason is because Paul knew that they had the common bond of all being joined together with God's grace. They were all partakers of God's grace. So literally, just like I was a sinner and Christ he he forgave me of my sin by His shed blood, that same thing has happened to each one of you that have come to faith in Christ. And because of that, we have been joined together into the same family partakers of the same grace of God. And that is our common bond. It's not Harleys, it's not cows, it's not sports. Our common bond is that we were lost. And now because of Christ, we're found. And it's that simple. And so Paul told him, he said, this is why I love you the way that I love you. It ain't because you have all kind of things in common with me. You share in the same undeserved grace that I share in. And so Paul expressed how much he loved loved them. Now here's where we kind of get into today. It's been ten years since Paul has seen this church. When he writes this letter, ten years have passed by and he has not seen them. But they have continued to help support Paul throughout this time. And so um, what I want you to see is one of the primary purposes that... Paul wrote this letter is because they were concerned about Paul. They had heard about his suffering. They had heard about um, all the trials that he has faced. And then they knew that he was in a house prison under house arrest in Rome. And so they actually send a guy named Epaphroditus, I believe is how you say his name. They actually send him from Philippi to Rome with a financial gift because they want to make sure Paul has his needs took care of and they want to know that Paul is doing okay. So this was Paul's letter in response to that. Let me prove it to you. Take your Bible, hold your spot in Philippians 1. Go to Philippians chapter 4 verse 14 through 18 so that you can see this yourself. Notice that Paul says here in verse 14 of chapter 4, he says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, or the the area where Philippi was in, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except only you. The the uh, disciples here in Philippi knew that Paul was in a tough place. And they sent this gift through Epaphroditus and they wanted Epaphroditus to bring back a report. So whenever Epaphroditus comes back, he has this report and Paul sends this letter in response. And so this letter, if you're going back to Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, you'll see that Paul starts out He started out his letter by telling them, guys, I love you so dearly. You have been such a blessing in my life. You share in my suffering. You share in my needs. you, 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 You show the love that you have for us. And then in verse 12, he starts addressing the suffering that he goes through. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So here he begins to address the suffering that he's been going through, this imprisonment that he's dealing with. But it's not just the imprisonment. Remember, it's been 10 years. And we're going to, I'm going to give you a a real quick run through of all the things that have happened in these 10 years in just a moment so that you understand the whole context of why they were concerned. But it's my hope today. Here's my goal. After we build this context, It is my hope that from this letter that you are going to learn from Paul's example that God can and should be trusted through all of your suffering no matter what it is. And not just trusted, but that you can go through your sorrow and your hurt and all of your suffering with hope. Now I know that sounds like a a contradiction there, right? But we're going to see Paul do it time and time again. And we're going to see what that does for his faith and what that does for the faith of all the people around him when he is able to completely trust God through all of his suffering. Now I'm speaking to Christians this morning. Don't let me lose you. Don't let me bore you before we get to the heart of this thing. I'm speaking to Christians this morning. Listen, everybody in the world suffers. That don't mean that everybody in the world is going to trust God through their suffering. That don't mean that that everybody in the world is going to be able to have hope when they go through their suffering. So it's important you understand, I'm talking to Christians. Now I want you to think about something. Sometimes everybody suffers, because we reap what we sow, right? Anybody in here ever had to reap what you sow? Got a few of those? Sometimes we suffer because I'm reaping what I have sown. Sometimes I suffer because of something that you have done. And it affects me in some way. Sometimes I suffer because of something my wife may have done. Or, or my son may have done. Sometimes I suffer because of something one of my best friends may have done. So suffering comes sometimes not because I'm reaping what I've sown, but because of the sin of someone else. So yes, sometimes it's my own sin, and then sometimes it's the sin of someone else. Sometimes we suffer because this world is cursed. Sometimes it ain't got nothing to do with the fact that I have personally sinned in this area or this person personally sinned and it has affected me, but instead sometimes it's just because the creation braces itself against us and in thorns and thistles we eat our bread. With the sweat of our brow we eat our bread. Sometimes suffering just comes because this world is cursed. Sometimes suffering comes because Satan is trying to Steal, kill, and destroy your faith. Sometimes suffering comes when you are at your most faithful, when you are at your strongest point, and yet Satan comes in and he wants the, uh, he told, uh, Jesus told Peter, he said, Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded for you. And he wants to sift your faith like wheat. Literally, He wants to destroy your faith. And this is why we see Peter go through the suffering that he goes through, the trials that he goes through. So suffering is universal. Y'all with me? But for a Christian, you can go through suffering of all kinds full of hope. Tears, mourning, but full of hope. And we're going to see that here in just a minute as we go through this. You remember in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, God gives us a promise. He said, For we know that God works all things together for the good of everybody. For the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. So there again, Christians... Christians is who I am talking to this morning. Now, in verses 12 through 14 of Philippians 1 again, we see that Paul wants the Philippians to know that you can trust God through your suffering. Look how he starts it out in verse 12 again. The first five words, what are they? I want you to know. Brethren, I want you to know that what has happened, past tense, to me, has really served to advance the gospel. Here's the first thing we learn from Paul's example right here. We learn that God can and should be trusted, but sometimes we don't see it immediately, do we? Sometimes we don't see it until we're on the other side of a thing. And that's important for you to understand. It don't mean that you're going to go through every suffering and go, yeah, I just absolutely see exactly what God is doing here. No. The truth of the matter is, look what he said again. He said, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, past tense, all of the stuff that has happened. Paul's saying, I'm ten years on the other side of this thing now. And all those things that have happened to me I want you to understand, They I, now I see that they actually happen to advance the gospel. Now do you think that Paul just absolutely saw it in every situation of suffering that he was in while he was in it? No. These are things that he learned along the way. But what you will see is the way that Paul was able to see that God was always working good through his suffering is because he continued to trust God through it. So then when he got to the end of it, because he trusted God through it, he could look back and he could say, okay, I still don't like it, (laughs) but I trust it. And I know that he was doing something in this. So let's take a look at some of those things. Now what you need to understand is that Paul had plans in his life. Paul always made plans. Anybody in here ever made plans for your life? Anybody in here ever say, well... Maybe when you were younger, you said, okay, I'm going to be married by the time I'm this, and I'm going to have kids by the time I'm this, and I'm going to have a, a nice job and a career. and a house. You had great plans. Anybody in here's plans ever changed? Plans ever changed? Well, let's take a look at Paul's plans. Hold your place in Philippians and go to Romans. Romans chapter 1. We'll start there. Just read a couple of verses. Look at verse 9 is where we'll start at. He says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. So, let me cut it short for you so you understand this. Paul had plans. He wanted to go to Rome, right? He said, I've been wanting to go to Rome and see you and minister to you for a long time. But up until now, I've been hindered. And so, go to Romans chapter 15 with me. I want to see... When he gets to the end, he further explains this a little bit more. Romans chapter 15, we'll start in verse 18. In Romans 15, starting in verse 18, this is what it says. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. He's saying, these years that I've been doing this, I've saw God do so much when He's bringing people to faith in Christ. But then he, he goes on in verse 19, I've seen it by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of Him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Look at verse 22. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. What's the reason? Because God knew that there were so many Gentiles in this other place that needed to hear the gospel. And so while Paul wanted to go to Rome, God knew... That Philippi needed Paul. God knew that Thessalonica needed Paul. God knew that Corinth needed Paul. God knew that uh, all of Greece needed Paul. And so this is why he was hindered. But then keep reading with me. Verse 23. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, listen to this, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. Now, I'll stop right there. Let me fill in all the blanks. Paul has plans, right? Paul wants to go to Rome. For many years he's been wanting to go to Rome. Y'all stay with me. God has hindered his plans. Every time Paul wanted to go to Rome, something else. He said, okay, now I'm going to go to Rome. No, not going to Rome. Now I've got to go over here. And he was always hindered in some way. Now we find a timeline here. He says, at present, I am on my way to Jerusalem to take a gift to the suffering saints there because Macedonia and Achaia have given gifts. So here is Paul, and you can find this if you were to go back to Acts chapter 21. For sake of time, I'm not going to take you back and walk through the whole thing, so I'm just going to spell it out for you. Paul in Acts 21 is on his third missionary journey and he's finishing it and he's going back to Jerusalem to take money to the suffering saints. He gets back to Jerusalem and he's thinking, remember his plans are as soon as I get this gift back to Jerusalem, now I'm going to get to go to Rome, right? My goal is I want to get to Spain. But first I'm going to stop in here and I'm going to spend some time with y'all so that we can just encourage each other. But when Paul gets to Jerusalem with this gift, what he don't know is that Jews from Asia are in Jerusalem waiting on him. And Paul goes into the temple of God, and they go in and they drag him out, and they falsely accuse him of defiling the temple. They bring him out. They want to kill him. The Roman soldiers come out and they stop these people from killing Paul. Next thing we know, the next day, the Roman soldier brings Paul before the Jewish high priest and they kind of have a little court case. The Romans will not let the Jews kill him because they don't see that he's really done anything wrong. But according to Jewish law, they believe he's done something worth death. So then, the Roman commander takes Paul away from this trial because he sees it's not going good. When he takes him away, there are 40 Jews that decide we're going to kill Paul. So here's how we're going to do it. Y'all go back and y'all tell these Roman commanders that we want to meet with Paul again. We want to sit down and we want to figure this thing out. We're going to lie in wait and when they're bringing him on the way, we're going to jump out, we're going to ambush him and we're going to kill Paul. Well, it just so happened Paul's nephew hears about this plan. Paul goes to, um, Paul's nephew goes to the Roman commander and says, Hey, they're going to come to you and say they want to meet. Don't do it. They're waiting and they're going to jump out. They're going to kill Paul. So the Roman commander by night sends Paul with 200 spearmen, 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and he sends him protected all the way 75 miles away to Caesarea. Now in Caesarea, The Romans have a governor there and his name is Felix. Here Paul stands before the Roman governor and he pleads his case. He shares his testimony. He shares the gospel. Felix decides, I'm going to figure out what's going on. So then he brings the Jews in and he says, Okay, y'all tell me how this man has broken your law. So they come in, they plead their case. Paul comes in, he pleads his case. They still can't figure it out. So Felix puts Paul back in prison. For the next two years, Paul stays in a Roman prison in Caesarea because Felix is hoping that somebody will pay him a bribe to let Paul loose. But it don't happen. So at the end of two years, Felix, either his term is up or he dies, I can't remember, but he's replaced by a guy named Festus. So now we got a new Roman governor. His name is Festus. All right? Festus calls the king of the Jews, Agrippa, to come in. And so now the Roman governor and the Jewish king are going to try this case together. Paul stands up and he pleads his case again. So now he's witnessing in front of Roman governors, in front of Jewish kings and the queens cuz their wives are there, and he's he is staying chained to Roman guards for the last two years, a different guard every six hours. They changed out every six hours. And so Paul has been witnessing to every Roman guard here in Caesarea. He has been witnessing to every Roman governor, every Roman commander. He's been witnessing to the Jewish kings, to the Jewish high priest. I mean, Paul has been sharing the gospel with everybody. Well then, after the two years are up, Festus and Agrippa say, well, we don't really see no fault in him, but in his testimony, Paul said, you know what? I'm a Roman citizen. I have a right to appeal to Caesar. Take me to Rome. But now a huge storm comes up. And this storm completely destroys the ship. And now Paul and all the people have to swim for their lives. But before they swim, the Roman soldiers decide, hey, we need to kill Paul. We need to kill all the prisoners. Because if even a single one of them escapes, then it means our life. And so they want to kill all the prisoners. The Roman commander steps up and says, hey, we ain't doing this. They all end up swimming to shore where Paul starts a fire, gathers wood and gets snake bit by a viper, but he don't die. So he's been lost at sea for 14, 15 days in the worst storm that they had ever seen. He swims for his life to an island. He gets on the island, builds a fire, gets bit by a viper. viper. He overcomes that. And then whenever he he, uh, spends about three months on this island, they get in another boat and they finally make it to Rome where he spends the next two years, go with me to the book of Acts, Chapter 28, this is where we finish the context, so please don't let me lose you. Acts chapter 28, because this is where Paul writes the book of Philippi, okay? You just had a fly through of what's happened in the last 10 years. Acts chapter 28, let's start in verse 16 and we'll read through 19 first. And when we came into Rome... Now remember, Paul's plans was to go to Rome, wasn't it? But do you think the way Paul got to Rome was part of his plans? That's important. When we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers... Though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. Now skip down to verse 30. Acts 28 verse 30. Paul lived there two whole years at his own expense, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus with all boldness, and what's in last two words? without hindrance. Paul has made it to Rome, not any anyway the way that he planned. but he wanted to go to Rome. Now he's in Rome. But now he's writing the book of Philippi. And he's telling them, Guys, I know that it's been ten years since I've seen you. I know that I have been kidnapped by Jews, tried to be killed. I have been took into Roman custody, kept in jail for two years. I have have spent now two years in this house arrest over here in Rome with a different Roman guard. Uh, chained to me every six hours. But look at Philippians 1 verse 12. Others That what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. After all of this suffering, now Paul is able to be on the backside of it and he's able to look back and he's able to say, Hey guys, guess what? I know you've been concerned about me with all this suffering, but let me tell you what I, what I've seen. I've seen that all that has happened to me has really happened to advance the gospel. Can you tell me if Paul had have just got on a boat and went to Rome on his own, would he have ever stood before Roman commanders? Would he have ever been chained? Can you imagine having to be chained to the... You ever tried to evangelize somebody that can't get away? He's chained to somebody different every six hours. Would Paul have ever stood before Roman governors, uh, uh, Jewish kings, Jewish queens? Would Paul have ever stood before any of those people if it had not been for the plan that God had. And now Paul, on the other side of this thing as a Christian, he can look back and he can say, you know what, all of this has really happened to advance the Gospel. Now let me ask you this. Suppose Paul, when the Jews tried to kill him and the Romans threw him in prison, suppose he had hunkered down and said, I don't deserve this. This is not fair. And suppose that's the attitude he took and every time he went up there, instead of pleading the case of Christ, he just pleaded his own case. I have not not done anything wrong. I am innocent. I do not deserve to be here. Suppose that's the attitude that he took. Here's my point. The reason why Paul was able to get to the end of this thing and see that what has happened to me has really happened to advance the gospel, the reason he has seen that is because he went through all of these things full of hope. Every time... You remember when Paul was in Philippi... Remember, we're writing the book of Philippi. Or reading from the book of Philippians. You remember when Paul was in Philippi and he went to the Philippian jail... What were Paul and Silas doing while they were in jail after being beat for preaching the gospel? Praying and singing. Do you think that their stripes on their back felt like praying and singing? Why were they praying and singing? Because in the midst of their sorrow, they had hope. They had hope. They knew that this world was temporary. They knew that this world was full of suffering. But they also knew that the gospel that they preached was the promise of God that there is a world where there is no suffering. And so they they preach and they sing because they believe God. They trust God. Or... They cannot believe God. They cannot trust God. And he can sit in his prison and not sing and not preach. Right? So the point being, because Paul trusted God and believed God through all of his suffering, now he is able to be on the other side and look back and he can boldly declare to you, he is saying, for I know that God works all things together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And I know that. And so I can face every suffering with that mindset in mind. But sometimes we don't actually see it till we have passed it. Here's the second thing that we learn in verse 13 of Philippians chapter 1. Let's read it. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest, that my imprisonment is for Christ. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Here's the next thing we learn from Paul's example. Your suffering is an opportunity to witness to the hope of the gospel. Your suffering is an opportunity for you to actually tell the world that your hope is not in this world. I have witnessed to people before, and I know this is going to sound silly to a lot of you. I have witnessed to people before that tried to commit suicide because the rental company was coming back to repossess the TV. True story. I went to the hospital to see this guy because he tried to kill himself because the best way or whatever it was came back to his house to repossess his TV. Where does that tell you his hope was at? The TV. In other words, if the TV gets taken away, life is not worth living. Right? In his mind here's one thing that you and I have to come to a place that we understand. TVs are eventually going to break. Cars are eventually going to break down. Houses are eventually going to return back to dust. These bodies are eventually going to go back to the dust from which they came. Our health is not always going to stay healthy. We are going to make bad decisions from time to time because we are sinners. The point being, if your hope is in anything in this world, you're not going to make it. Your hope must be in the gospel. And the gospel says that this world has nothing for me. Now can we enjoy some things in this world? Why yeah, we can enjoy some things. Can we have moments of good health in our life? Well, yeah, we can have moments of good health in our life. Can we have a, a nice car in our life? Well, yeah. Can we have a house in our life? Well, sure you can. But if those, if those are the things that your hope is in, that you live for, that your life is about, so that when any of those things is gone, if when your health gets taken away from you and your hope is gone, you've missed it. Your hope has to be in the Gospel. And the Gospel says that we have been made heirs with Christ. That literally, God has a place prepared for us that no death can enter in. No sickness can enter in. Cars don't break down in heaven. There ain't no electricity bills to be paid in heaven. God has a place prepared for us that is not corrupted by sin. And when your hope is in the gospel, then no matter what comes against you, yes, does it hurt when your health goes down? Why, yeah, it hurts. Does it hurt when you ain't got a car to get yourself to work? Well, you better believe it hurts. Does it, does it hurt when, when you're, um, when you can't get up and do the things you used to do when you were younger? Why, yeah, it hurts. But in the midst of your hurt, There should be hope that reminds you this world is passing away. It's going away. It's cursed. This world is full of suffering. That's what it's full of. And so my message, the reason why Paul and Silas can pray and praise in prison is because the message was gospel hope. Guys, are we in prison right now? Yeah. Do we have stripes on our back? Why, yeah, we do. But listen to me. It's not always going to be this way. There are better things prepared for us and we trust it and we believe it with all of our heart. And because of that, we sing while we're here. We praise while we're here. Do we cry? Well, yeah, we cry. Do we hurt? Well, yeah, we hurt. After the Philippian jailer was saved, you remember what he had to do next? He had to wash the stripes on Paul's back. You know why? Because it hurt. But the pain that this suffering brings does not take away the hope of the promise that God has made to you in Christ Jesus. So in your suffering, you have the opportunity to witness to the hope of the Gospel that is in you. Now again, if you are not a Christian and you do not believe God and you do not trust God, I'm sorry all you have to look forward to in this world is a few glimpses of happiness here and there and suffering the rest of the world. That's that's the truth. I'm not trying to throw a a pail of water on your worldly fire. But that's the truth. And so I want you to understand this morning that for a Christian that believes God and trusts in God, then this in your suffering is an opportunity for you to witness to the hope of the Gospel one of the things that you see in verse 13 here, he said, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest. Literally, Paul continued to spread the hope of the gospel while he was chained to every guard while he was in every prison, while he took every strike, while he stood before every king, before every governor, before every Roman commander, no matter what he stood in front of, no matter what his suffering was, he did not stop witnessing to the hope that was in him. And the Bible tells us that we should always be ready to give a defense for the reason of the hope that is within us. Now again, we've had some hard times in our life. Me and my wife have. We went through some tough trials over the years. But I want you to know something. It was during those tough trials that we had the opportunity to, to, to let everyone know we trust God. Does it hurt? Well, yeah, it hurts. We trust God. I remember one thing, just one of many that hurt. Y'all remember some of you, we adopted a child a long time ago. We didn't have plans to adopt this child. This young lady came to us. She sought us out. She wanted us to adopt the child. We took this child. We took this lady to all of her doctor's appointments. To, to We were at the hospital when the baby was born. We, we, we looked her in the eye before we left the hospital and said, Hey, we understand if you want to change your mind, just don't let us leave the hospital with this child if you even have a thought that you might want to change your mind. We understand. We're not asking for nothing. She said, no, I'm not going to do it. I can't do it. We left the hospital with that child. We raised that child. We named, That child still has the name that we gave it today. And then just a few weeks went by and she changed her mind. That was a tough time. I know you say, well, there's people face hard, Yeah, you're right, people have. But I'm just telling you, that was a tough time for us. It hurt. It hurt. But I can remember calling that young lady up and saying, hey, I can't imagine what you were feeling. And I want you to know that we forgive you. I want you to know that we love you. And that if there is anything we can ever do, that we are here to help you. And the whole point behind that was to show. Now again, did we hurt? Yeah. Do you think I felt like saying that to a young lady? No, my first thought was when it first happened, and I got witnesses here that heard me say it that night. When that night happened, the first night, all I could say was, I'm thankful I didn't go buy that gun. That's what I felt. That's what I felt. But what I did was witness to the hope that was in me. That even though I'm hurting right now, that this world is full of suffering. And I know that even if I had raised that child, one day that child will go to the grave. Y'all understand that, right? And I have to understand that my hope, as much as I wanted that and as much as I loved that, My hope cannot be in this world. Can I enjoy it? Why, yeah, I can enjoy it. i got a five-year-old now fixing to be six. You think I ain't enjoying that? Every minute of it. I love it. I'm so thankful for it. But you need to understand something. It is not going to last forever. And that can't be what my life is about. Just a few verses after this in Philippians chapter 1, since you're already there, look at it. Here's what Paul said about it in verse 21. Philippians 1, look what he says. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is what? Gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that just means more fruit for my labor. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is what? Far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And so here's what Paul understood. My life was never about whether I made it to Rome and got to sit back and relax on the beach and share with my brothers and sisters in Christ. My hope was never about, I'm talking in Paul's person here, But his hope was never about whether he got married and had children. Would those things have been nice? Well, yeah, they're nice for anybody. But his hope was not in that. His hope was in the gospel. That all of this is coming to an end. And for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Why is it gain? Because that's the hope of the gospel that is in me. And so, you have an opportunity to witness to your hope of the gospel. Paul did. Here's what happened because of his hope in the gospel. Verse 13 again. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest. Does that leave anybody out? Remember, in Paul's house arrest, people came and went freely. No one. He, was he chained to a guard? Yeah, he was chained to a guard. Every six hours, a different one so that the whole imperial guard... Now you want to know who the imperial guard was? These were Caesar's main men. They were the main crew of the Roman military that guarded Caesar himself. And they camped out in Rome, taking care of Rome. And now every one of them, one every six hours, is being rotated out and chained to the Apostle Paul. So now you understand why he says, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest. I really believe Paul is saying here, I don't think there's a Roman soldier that I haven't witnessed to. I don't think there is a Roman governor that I haven't witnessed to. I don't think there's a king that I had not witnessed to. I mean to everybody anywhere in Rome. So Paul's plans was to go to Rome. But do you think in Paul's plans he could have witnessed to everybody? So now Paul's on the other side of this thing and he looks back at the at the Philippians and he says, "Hey guys, I know y'all are worried about me and I know you see my suffering and I know that you hurt for me, but I want you to know something. All of this has really just served to advance the gospel to the point that the whole imperial guard is hurted." to the point that all the rest in Rome have heard it. And it's because I maintained the hope of the gospel. I trusted God through all of my suffering. Finally, in verse 14, let me see if I've even got time. Y'all don't give me enough time. In verse 14, here's the last one. <clears throat> and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So here's the last thing that we learn from Paul's suffering <clears throat> trusting God through your suffering increases other believers' confidence in the Lord's promise. When you see me as a Christian go through my darkest days and yet in my tears and in my sorrow I proclaim, I believe the promise of God. My hope is in what God has promised for me to live as Christ anyway. That is when other believers have the opportunity to have their faith strengthened. And your hope in the gospel is going to increase. Look what it says again in verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment. By my imprisonment. Now listen, this is not saying that they become confident just because Paul went to prison. How many people have made you confident in the Lord just because they went to prison? No, but because Paul went to prison and kept praying and kept praising and kept singing and kept trusting and kept believing and kept preaching and kept teaching. And now all the believers are watching Paul and notice what it says again. They have become... Let me find it again. They have become confident in the Lord. In other words, because Paul so believes this promise, now they believe it. And then it goes on. And they are much more bold to speak the Word without fear. The point being this. We can teach each other how to grow in our faith in our darkest hours. Now again, is this easy? No. No, because your first reaction, just like my first reaction in your suffering, is I'm mad and I want to kill somebody. I'm mad and I don't like what God's plans are for me. I wanted to go to Rome, but this ain't the plans that I had. I wanted, I wanted, a marriage and kids, but this ain't the plan that I had. I wanted to to have a good career and I wanted all these things in life, but this ain't the plan that I had. And I would remind you today that it is in your darkest hour that the hope of the Gospel either comes out or it shows you that the hope That you have is not in the gospel. It's in this world, which is coming to an end anyway. Are y'all with me this morning? Do you understand? I know y'all hear that all the time, but are you not old enough yet? Is anybody in here old enough to know that this life is coming to an end? Is there anybody in here experienced enough suffering yet to know that there's always a dark night around the corner? if you really believe for one second that your hope will ever be in this world, I'm sorry for you. And I want to preach the Gospel to you this morning. This world is cursed because the Creator made it for His glory and we wanted it for our glory. And it's cursed that it's not going to last with you being God. The only way that this thing lasts is if God is God of your life. Any other way, it all comes to an end. And then after that end, there is nothing but suffering from there on out for all eternity. But that's not my hope. My hope is that when all of this suffering is over, and God has worked it all together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose, my hope is that He has a place prepared for me that there is no suffering. There is no sickness. There is no death. There is no sorrow whatsoever. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And I pray that that's where you're at today. So, my question to you is Do you believe God? Do you trust Him? Do you believe that when He says, I have a place prepared for you, and this is what it's like, that this is where it's at? Because if this is where it's at, your hope will be crushed very soon. But if you trust God, you believe God through your suffering, you will be what Jesus called the salt of this earth, the light of this world. You will be shining a light for the gospel hope and you will lead unbelievers to Christ. You will strengthen the the faith of believers and you will see that everything that God has allowed to happen in your life, that He will actually use it for your good and for His glory. No matter what it is. But you got to trust him. You got to believe.